Hello, 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 know-it-alls, and welcome back to the Know-It-All podcast. I'm your host, Riley Sue, and I'm so excited to be joining you for another installment in our pursuit to know a little bit about everything. Last week, we discussed examples of ancient graffiti, which was so much fun, and the research for that episode was honestly just so cool. I got to spend a lot of time just digging through digitized examples and translations, and I laughed a lot, so I hope you laughed a lot at home listening to that one, too. The chamber pot graffito about making a mess in the bed will now be one of my favorite things to talk about when I meet strangers. Lucky them. (laughs) This week, though, we're going to stay with the arts, and we're going to be diving into the history of stained glass. The breathtakingly beautiful and remarkably rich art form has been captivating the minds and faith of humans for hundreds of years. The colorful material that entertained me through mass as a child, then cut my fingers while I was trying to open the bathroom window as a teenager, the backdrop to so many of our revelations and regressions. So whether a symbol of God's promise or a carefully arranged blend of sharp edges to create a grander image, stained glass is cool as hell. But where does its story begin? If you've ever seen Sweet Home Alabama, then you can probably remember that glass can be made from highly heated rock or sand. And if you haven't seen Sweet Home Alabama, then don't sweat it. That's what I'm here for. Basically, glass has always been found in nature, made when sand or rocks that are high in silica are heated to high temperatures and then cooled rapidly. To be specific, it's cooled so quickly that there isn't enough time for the material to take on a crystalline structure. And beaches like the one from Sweet Home Alabama aren't the only place that glass can form. Anywhere that there's a combination of concentrated silica and a rapidly cooling heat source, it's a recipe for glass. Lightning strikes in deserts, meteorites hitting the Earth's surface, sea sponges and microorganisms within waters, and volcanoes spitting molten rock all have the capabilities to create glass. And I think this is a great moment to say that also glass isn't a solid. It also isn't a liquid. I already said that the material doesn't have enough time to arrange itself into a crystalline structure, so what structure does it arrange itself into? Well, frankly, a chaotic one. To scientists, crystals have atoms that are arranged in a lattice-like structure. In liquids, atoms are free to move in random ways, and that's the reason that liquid can flow. In glass, though, the atoms are held rigidly in place, so they can't flow, but they're still randomly arranged. There isn't the lattice structure. Therefore, being neither a solid nor a liquid, glass is sometimes called a rigid liquid, a hardened liquid, or an amorphous solid. There's this popular show on Netflix called Blown Away, and it does a great job of highlighting glass making and glass creation as a highly technical and intensive practice. So if you've seen that, you probably already feel what I'm trying to convey here. But if you haven't, then let's just take a moment to imagine all the trial and error it would take to not only master the working of glass, literal glass, but to then come up with the process and creation of the material from scratch. Like it would take a Jimmy Neutron style brain blast. You'd need to first make the connection that lightning produces heat. And we have a whole episode with a whole introduction explaining how it's mind blowing for people that lightning is heat. Then you need to connect that lightning striking sand has the capability of making glass then come up with a relatively safe and controlled method of making glass yourself. Like, those are a lot of fairly separate points and events that could have been seen as completely unrelated, but somewhere along the way someone was like, hey, that makes sense to me, and now we just all have glass everything. It's on our iPhones, it's in our windows, it's in our eyeballs for some people, it's everywhere. 
The first glass created by humans can be dated to around 4,000 years ago, when craftspeople working in Mesopotamia discovered that they could mix sand, soda, ash, and lime to make glass. Methods for shaping ancient glass consisted of heating it in open molds to cast shapes or using a core-forming method where one creates a mud core that's then covered in glass, then the hardened mud is removed to create a hollow vessel. The earliest examples of glass are found in Mesopotamia and Egypt, used in jewelry or for inlays on furniture, formed to make containers for perfume or oils, and used for architectural embellishment, but not on windows yet. Glass from those two places spread via trade into Southwest Asia and throughout the Mediterranean, and more locations began to make their own glass. And of course, with more people and more cultures working with the material, there came new techniques and new visions for the possibilities of what glass could do. All over the place, new types of glass vessels and containers were created. The Greeks experimented with colorless glass, and the Latin people in Central Europe made glass beads and bracelets. The earliest flat pieces of glass were made by pouring molten glass onto trays and flattening it with a spatula. But in Palestine during the first century BCE, glassmakers began to experiment with a new technique in which one collects a bulb of molten glass from a vessel on the end of a rod or blowpipe, then blows air into the bulb and shapes it into a cylindrical shape, then cuts the bulb and widens it by flattening it on a surface. Early windows wouldn't have had the greatest visibility out of them, but they were glass windows and that in itself was an achievement. It would be more than a thousand years before glass windows that you could easily see through were made. And between that time and this one, the process of making glass windows would be forgotten or lost during the early Middle Ages. Mind you, I hate saying that sentence or that anything was lost during the Middle Ages or really any time in history. It was merely just like momentarily forgotten because people were too busy dealing with non-stop invasions or wars or famines or plagues to worry about how to make glass windows. I mean, who are we to sit around and judge when we sat and watched 25 celebrities sing Imagine for two minutes because we couldn't go outside to get our hair cut for nine months? Like, we're not better than the people of the Middle Ages. Why don't we just come off it? <sighs> but the making of glass windows was, for lack of a better word, lost during the early Middle Ages. And at this time, windows in and around Europe began to be made of mostly solid wood shutters that could be closed or opened dependent on the weather. Slowly, though, things advanced again, and in the late Middle Ages, the cylindrical technique was adapted in advance to become crown glass in the 1320s in France. In this technique, the bulb was still blown and then pierced to be opened, but the blown bulb would be twirled while still on the rod and shaped into a disc. Because the center of the disc had remained attached, it was thicker than the rest of the disc. And because of this irregularity in the discs, the center would allow less light and it would be substantially more blurred than the edges. But when combined with metal to fuse the discs into a pane, they shut the window to the elements while still allowing light to come through. That was a win, and crown glass became the standard in window panes during the Middle Ages. So crown glass is smaller pieces that were fused together with metal to create a larger pane. Stained glass windows are typically pieces of glass fused together. You see how they relate? People were already making clear glass windows that had to be fused, so if you could control the way that the glass broke, you could arrange it into something that made a bigger image, and then you could fuse it with metal. Huh? I.e., crown glass and its fusion together helped to create the techniques that would be required to make stained glass. Okay? Okay, so y'all, I don't know about all of you, but one of the first things that I wondered when I was preparing for this episode was... Is there even a difference between stained glass and colored glass that would be used to make decorative items or, you know, what have yous? 
And so we're just going to go ahead and knock that one out real quick. Uh, they're not different. They're just different versions and combinations of colored glass. And technically, all colored glass is stained or tinted by adding in metallic oxides to change the hue of the glass while it's in its molten state. However, stained glass is a term that has come to almost exclusively refer to glass that has been used in ornamental or pictorial windows or pieces of art. Also, as we're going to cover over and over again, the magic of stained glass is not so much in its panes of glass or the shape that it takes, but instead can be found in the overall image or the feeling that the glass creates or the way that the light comes through the glass. Okay, it's, it's more about the general vibe of the thing. Let's quickly, though, cover the anatomy of a stained glass window. That way, while we cover the changes that have happened and the pieces that we're talking about today and just the art form in general, you can understand the words that I'm throwing around. Okay, so the outside of the window is called the frame, and this can be made of wood, metal, or stone masonry that surrounds and supports the panel of glass. Between the shaped and cut pieces of glass, traditionally there are cames, which are channeled strips of lead, zinc, or other metal that are used to bind the glass pieces into a pattern. Cames serve both as structural and visual aids to a pane. Without them, the glass would not lay together and the pieces would not be as defined. There are also different textures or stylings that can be added to stained glass through embossing, painting the glass's surface, seeding the glass by blowing small bubbles into it, jeweled glass that's been cut or molded into a geometric shape, or iridescent glass that's made by bonding a layer of metallic oxide to the surface of the hot glass just after the sheets form. I think that's most everything that I might throw at you or that I feel like you need to know in order to sound aloof and fancy out in the world. So we're going to have a quick break and then dive into some examples of stained glass windows all the way from the oldest intact panels to the largest stained glass window and some advancements in the art form. You may not have caught it, but I specifically said earlier that in Europe, glass windows were swapped for wooden shutters for a while, and that's because there they were. But in Southwest Asia, the making of stained glass and stained glass windows flourished. Here, originally stained or tinted glass was used more for the creation of faux gemstones, but eventually it was also used to decorate mosques, palaces, and public spaces all throughout the Islamic world. These pieces usually consist of geometric designs, floral motifs, or text, and highlight the ways in which God can interact with light, an idea that's central to all three Abrahamic religions. In Islam, light is considered to be a sign of Allah's guidance, and Allah is considered to be the light of heaven and earth. Condemnation of idolatry is explicitly written in the Quran, which has led to anachronism, or the avoidance of images of sentient beings in some forms of art, being widespread in Islam. This means that the stained glass in these areas are non-pictorial. They don't have people in them, like examples from Europe. And these are honestly some of the most beautiful stained glass windows that I've ever seen photos of. And the light that comes through them stays so vivid because they're just so packed full of pieces of glass. I've got a lot of photos and other content I've been gathering up that's going to be posted on Instagram not only today but throughout the week so go and check it all out on at know it all pod on insta these these windows are beautiful guys like quite literally imagine <laughs> I'm gonna call myself out you know that 
hippie girl kind of tapestry that you know every chick has hung up in her dorm room I'm literally staring at one in the podcasting room right now imagine that but a stained glass window like and that's not even a good description just go check it out but stained glass creation flourished in southwest asia and the islamic world with the tent being appreciated not only because of its beauty but also because it helped to keep the hot sun out better than clear panes so light is a symbol of allah's guidance and presence in islam and in christianity it's a symbol of god's holiness and the promise of joy through salvation the use of stained glass windows in Christianity was meant to not only highlight those two aspects of light for the faith, but also when the art had its meteorotic rise in the Middle Ages, it was being used to illustrate the narratives of the Bible to a largely illiterate church population. The lifelike qualities and varied scenes of early medieval glass were created to help those who couldn't read the word of God still feel its message in their soul. The oldest intact stained glass windows are located in the Augsburg Cathedral in Germany and the windows date to the late 11th and early 12th century, and they feature the prophets David, Jonah, Moses, Hosea, and were possibly part of a larger series that's now been lost. Whoever made the windows, though, was a skilled glass artisan, but there are no earlier surviving works from the same artist. In the Basilica of St. Denis in the northern St. Denis suburb of Paris, there are also very large stained glass windows that originally date to the 12th century. And also, this basilica is the final resting place of many French monarchs, including Catherine de Medici, King Louis XVI, and Marie Antoinette. But that isn't even the most impressive head that has literally graced these grounds. No, in fact, the church sits in this very location because it's apparently where the martyr Saint Denis placed his own decapitated head in the year 250. People have been understandably obsessed with the spot ever since. Intertwined with the story of the windows that we're going to talk about today, though, is the life of Abbot Suji, who began his career in the church at age 10 and after becoming abbot in 1122, took on the role of being the leader for rebuilding the church. At this time, the church was playing an important role as a pilgrimage site for the Shrine of St. Denis, but the building was in a diminishing state. Abbot Suji was an accomplished fundraiser and helped to transform the basilica into a fit resting place for French royalty. Suji wanted to completely change the reputation and the look of the church, so he had masons use a rib vault with pointed arches and exterior buttresses, which when combined allowed for more of the wall space to be used for large stained glass windows that were unlike anything that had ever been done before, effectively creating one of the earliest, if not the earliest, example of Gothic architecture. Suji was also huge on symbolism, so his restorations and redesigns for the church were rife with examples of it. There are 12 columns in the choir to represent the 12 apostles. He felt that the light from the windows represented the Holy Spirit, and his words are carved into the nave, stating, quote, For bright that is which is brightly coupled with the bright, and bright is the noble edifice which is pervaded by the new light, end quote. Which sounds like a really nice sentiment, but then I found this quote, which is on the gold doors to enter the church, and it says, Quote, all you who seek to honor these doors, marvel not at the golden expense, but at the craftsmanship of the work. The noble work is bright, but being nobly bright, the work should brighten the minds, allowing them to travel through the lights, to the true light, where Christ is the true door. The golden door defines how it is imminent in these things. The dull mind rises to the truth through material things, and is resurrected from its former submersion when the light is seen, end quote. 
which kind of makes it sound like he's saying, yeah, your little pea brain is impressed by these doors. Well, let me and my big brain tell you about heaven, where Jesus is the door. Nah, don't look at the expense. Look at the craftsmanship. That was allowed here, and now you're allowed to see. The work should make you feel bright, but you're also soul dull. It's just going to make you realize what the rest of us already know. It's a little condescending, and Suji, I don't think I like you as much as I did about 30 seconds ago. Let's go ahead and get back to the actual windows. What do they show? Well, it turns out that the first and earlier window adds to the Suji isn't that cool of a dude theory, with it being said to be part of a scheme of his that he described as comprehensible, quote, only to the literate, end quote. Which, like, I kind of take personal because before I looked up the breakdowns, I had no idea what the hell was happening in this thing. Like, that's not a lie. But it's called the anagogical window, and it dates to between 1140 and 1144. And the stories that are depicted in it are not from the Bible, but instead combine biblical and theological motifs to create stylized scenes, which, in my opinion, is purposefully obstructive. Like, Y'all literally just made these up, but you're going to act like if I don't understand, I'm somehow not cool with God. That's completely unfair, and I think that she'd agree with me. Either way, though, the window is very pretty and very interesting to look at, and there's even a part that has a lion and a lamb that are opening up a Bible together. So cute. The second window, which depicts the tree of Jesse, dates back to the early 12th century and is much clearer on what it's trying to get at. The tree of Jesse is an old Christian symbol that shows the genealogy of Jesus Christ, tracing his ancestry back to Jesse, the father of King David. The image within the stained glass shows a tree growing from Jesse at the base, and then it extends upward through four ancestors of Christ, culminating in the figure of Jesus Christ right at the top. I should also mention that Suji himself is depicted in some of the stained glass at St. Denis, though he did not go so far as to put himself as being related to the big JC. Our next example of stained glass also comes from a church within a Parisian suburb. The Cathedral of Sharta is known for having some of the most beautiful stained glass windows in the world, with its own version of the Tree of Jesse as well as images of the Passion and the life of Jesus. I want to go ahead and say, and this is, this might come across as a joke, but this is my genuine, this is me genuinely attempting to be serious. I have been trying to learn French for months now. I practice every day. I have a, I have a whole Duolingo streak. Um, I maybe I need to get Babbel. Maybe that's maybe that's my problem. But um, I will be doing my best to pronounce this with a soft T. However, if I get excited and I call this the Cathedral of Chart with a hard T. And we all know what sharp means. I don't need to explain it to you. But if I start calling this place Chart or the Cathedral of Chart, I'm very sorry. And it's not my intention. I will be trying my best to say Chart or Chart. The soft T, a little bit of a accent there. I'm trying, okay? It's just, that's just my disclaimer that I am trying, okay? The thing I'm going to highlight from Charta, though, is the Notre Dame de la Belle Verrière, or the Blue Virgin. The Cathedral of Chartres has a long association with the Virgin Mary, not only because it's a Catholic church, but also because it's home to one of the Virgin's relics, supposedly a piece of her veil. And it's been at the cathedral since 876, all the while helping the church to be a long-time pilgrimage destination. 
The Blue Virgin is special within Shard because it depicts the main stain of the cathedral, but also because it's the only stained glass window within the church that includes a larger image made up of multiple panels. Most everything else within the cathedral is made up to 25 to 30 individual panels that show distinct parts or episodes within a narrative, but not the Blue Virgin. The whole window and scene is actually a composite of various works, with the central figure dating back to 1180. In the image, the Virgin wears a blue robe and is seated on a throne with the Christ child on her lap. This composition is more widely known as Sedes Sapiente, the Throne of Wisdom, and is based on a cult figure that's kept in the crypt of the cathedral. The lower part of the Notre Dame de la Belverrière shows scenes from the infancy of Christ and dates from around 1225. I've got some pictures of stained glass from the cathedral, as well as pictures of the Blue Virgin for y'all to check out, some of the most gorgeous rose windows in all of Europe. Give it a peek. Now, we've made it this far into the episode, and we're almost through with our discussion, so you know at least a little bit about stained glass. So I'm going to give you five seconds to yell out to yourself or whoever's around you what country you think is home to the largest stained glass window in the world. Use all the knowledge that we've already had, okay? Shout it out after I count down. Ready? Five, four, three, two, one. Ah! What did you guess? Was it the United States? Because you would be correct. Sometimes we take bigger is better to art, right? Huh? Huh? Get it? Like to heart? Art? Whatever. Located in Resurrection Catholic Cemetery in Mausoleums in Justice, Illinois, is a stained glass window that consists of 2,448 panels and is a staggering 22,381 square feet in area. Again, this window, this stained glass window, has a total area of 22,381 square feet. That's 4.2 square miles of continuous stained glass. I did the math and that could contain my hometown 3.2 times over. Like, holy shit. And like, you better bet your bottom they have the Guinness World Record for largest stained glass window. Oh, Completed in 1971, the installation at the Resurrection Mausoleum wraps around all sides of the building and extends over two stories. It contains your standard fare-like stories from the life of Jesus and the saints and scenes from the Bible. And then things start to get a little funky. I mean, how else do you fill up almost 75 football fields worth of space? Well, I'll tell you, with a lion with claws dripping blood advancing toward martyrs, dinosaurs roaming in the Garden of Eden, a city skyline and the Chicago L, a satellite dish, a radio tower, jet planes, a rocket launching into space and an atomic explosion, to name a few things. God, there's really nothing like American excellence. Nobody does it like we do. Nobody. So from the examples I just laid out, I'm sure you can tell that stained glass has gone through many different styles and varieties throughout time. The Gothic stained glass style that was used in Augsburg, St. Denis, and Chartres is characterized by its vibrant colors and the use of round rows or slender pointed shapes. And this style eventually gave way to more classical stained glass that dominated through the Renaissance. 
Many windows in the style from this period were lost due to wars like the French Revolution, World War I or II, or Protestant Reformations. Specifically in England, a large number of medieval or Renaissance windows were smashed for being too ornate or lavish and were replaced with plain windows. Few windows remain undamaged, and with the wave of destruction, traditional methods of working with stained glass died out in England until the early 19th century. It was then that a renewed interest in the medieval church began, and with it came a revival in the Gothic style. Many new churches were built and older ones restored. Other locations throughout Europe followed, and in Germany, the Cologne Cathedral was completed in its medieval style and other buildings were restored. The demand for stained glass in Germany skyrocketed so much that many designs were imitated, and many examples of 19th century German stained glass have large sections of painted details rather than pieces or shapes that rely on the use of canes. In the late 19th century, Art Nouveau or Belle Epoque style began to flourish throughout Europe, and it can be identified by curving lines with metal canes or swirling motifs. In New York City in 1857, the first major decorative art studio of the U.S. opened, J&R Lamb Studio, and for years it would be a major producer of religious stained glass. Stained glass took on a new style and advancement with opalescent glass created by John Lafarge and popularized by Louis Comfort Tiffany. Tiffany-style glass, as it would become called, had a pretty big moment, but eventually the medieval styles came back into popularity with the beginning of the 20th century. But not for long. Soon, World War II and widespread damage to windows caused by bombings in Europe would cause a stall in the advancement of styles, and for a little while, the focus was on restoration rather than creation. After this, artists really sought to transform the old art and make it into a more contemporary one. This led to the use of slab glass and a technique known as dalle de verre, where glass is set in resin rather than joined by metal, and it was created by Jean Godin. Another technique, Gmail, was created by Jean Crotty and allows for overlapping pieces of glass to be joined without the use of canes, allowing for more subtlety and a wider range in the colors. From the mid-20th century and up until today, there's been a lot of variety and experimentation with stained glass, and not just in its form, but also in location, subject matter, and the people who create it. The shrinking of the world and the widening of access to information has led to more women, BIPOC, queer, and other people from marginalized groups reaching and interacting with the art form. So rather than the same Christian, male, Eurocentric styles that we've been getting for, well, forever, we've now begun to get the influence of other experiences and other people, which is never a bad thing. Let me just, I guess, say it clearly, diversity and inclusion in anything, in any space, is never a bad thing. Now, I'm sure that I could find countless examples of controversies from pieces of stained glass that one group of people liked, but another group of people didn't. And I originally wasn't even going to include this as a section. But, you know, sometimes there are just things that come up in research and demand to be spoken on. So, I've got a quick example of a controversial stained glass installation that I think will kind of help to round out our discussion. And that is the Cologne Cathedral window, which I was actually able to see in person a few years ago, and I remember learning a bit about this then, but I did a deep dive on it this week, and like I said, I just think that it surmises exactly what I'm trying to get at. Anyway, the window was originally installed in 1863, and it was destroyed in World War II and was replaced by a simple glazed window in 1948. And because the glazed window was colorless, it 
was deemed as disturbing to the general vibe of the cathedral. And so in 2003, it was decided that it needed to be replaced. And just like the original window, the original design had been destroyed in the war. And so instead, at first, the cathedral leadership wanted the more than 340 square foot window to show off German martyrs of the 20th century and to commemorate the Holocaust. And they had a few artists draw things up and pitch to them, but nothing was really sticking. That was until Gerrit Richter came and created an abstract design by cutting up a photo of one of his paintings and putting it together. And in 2006, Richter was commissioned to move forward with the abstract design, though he worked on the entire project without a fee. So what did he do and what did he make and why was it somewhat problematic? Well, from a palette of 800 colors sampled from medieval stained glass windows, Richter chose 72 colors, and then the colored squares or pixels were arranged by a random number generator. Reflections and repetitions within the pattern were predetermined, and in places where the arrangement of the pixels came out in a manner that could have suggested a grander meaning, Richter rearranged them, saying, quote, I rather held myself back. I wanted the window to have something self-evident, something every day, at least it should not be color noise, not too warm, not too cold, restrained, as neutral as possible, end quote. After the window was finished in 2007, it was not loved by everyone, namely with Cologne Cardinal Joachim Meisner strongly criticizing the window and stating it would be better suited in a mosque or a non-denominational prayer space. The statement never really came to nationwide attention in Germany, which could have been due in part to an earlier statement by Provost Norbert Feldhoff that said, quote, This window does not represent anything religious, but a challenge to seeing. It creates a light shimmering with colors. It animates, in spirits, calls for meditation, and creates a flare that opens for the religious, end quote. And I think that's something, that this art can invoke thoughts from outside the religious scope and therefore help to create connection between believers and non-believers. Inspiration. That it doesn't require the onlooker to have a pre-established religious knowledge. I mean, let's just say it, it doesn't have the condescending and gatekeeping tone that Suji had all over his windows. You could be the most random person visiting Cologne or any location with stained glass, see the magnificent colors and images that it creates, and be mesmerized by your place in opposition to that window. You can be reminded of your humanity and the joy and the gift of light, no matter your religious background, and that may lead you to a sense of religious or spiritual connection with the world. A huge shout out to the Corning Museum of Glass this week. They have extensive articles on glass and its history that are not only easy to read, but also really helped to shape this research and bridge some of the gaps that I had when I was confused with what I was finding in other places and I thought I had hit a wall. I will be visiting as soon as I get the chance to be out in New York, whenever that is, because I've actually never been to New York. My recommendation this week though is to go outside and enjoy the nice weather that's coming around. Get out in the sunshine and feel the energy of summer come through you. Maybe just grab yourself a lemonade or a limeade. I personally love a strawberry limeade, but, you know, just go take in the light of summer and maybe take a trip to visit some stained glass near you. It doesn't have to be a religious thing. Just be sure that you're respectful and people will be respectful back to you. And if they're not, 
we'll we'll deal with that as it comes okay okay we are nearing our summer break only four more episodes after this one before i'll be gone for a few weeks to help shape the minds of america's youth oof have no fear though i will be back on july 19th to kick off season two of know it all which is going to be amazing don't forget to vote in the poll this week answer the q a if you want to recommend any topics for the next season of the pod and be sure to send the episode to a friend if you enjoyed it if you didn't enjoy it maybe try listening to it again and make sure that you didn't like it you know just just give it a double listen see see what's up (laughs) i think though that's where i'm gonna cut it off y'all thank you so much i hope that you'll join me next week in the pursuit to know a little bit about everything in the meantime please like share download the episode send it to a friend like i said vote in the poll have a good weekend go get out in the sunshine but mostly stay safe out there until next time guys thanks